Welcome to another sermon podcast from Mount Hope Belmont, where you will hear messages designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live your life driven by faith. When was the last time you made a decision? In the Bible, after wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, the Israelites were given a task to follow, but over time they fell short and eventually did not stick with the plan. Doesn't this sound like our relationship with God? Some of us would say yes to God's decision, but we would eventually not stick with it. In the next few weeks, as we dive into the book of Judges, we hope you will enjoy the message as we find out how to make sure we stay on our task and not break the cycle. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's wonderful to see you this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Justin. I serve on our ministry team here at Mount Hope, and it's great to see you this morning as we open up God's Word. If you are visiting with us today, very special welcome to you. We're going to be in the book of Judges today, Judges chapter 13 through 16. We'll be moving around a little bit there. If you'd like to use uh, the seat back Bible right in front of you, we'll be around page 213 and 14. So you might want to open up there in a second. If you are visiting or if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that Bible. That's a gift of ours to you. Please take that home with you. And we hope that you're able to look through this book as we study it as well these weeks. Judges chapter 13 to 16 opens us up into the life of a man named Samson. And we're going to study his story a little bit today. Let me start with a question, though. How many of you like to have a snack right before you go to bed at night? I'm the only one that likes to live dangerously, I guess. So, uh, so having a snack before bedtime is not a good thing. People tell you don't do that. I kind of live my own way at times, and I take big risks. So one of the things that I like to do is have a snack before bedtime, and sometimes I'll go downstairs to go get that snack and not turn any lights on. It's just, I don't know why. That's me being a dad, I guess. So I just don't turn any lights on. I'll go downstairs, and recently, about a year or two ago, I was... Going downstairs to grab my snack, I went down to grab some milk to go along with the cookies that I already had upstairs, and I went downstairs, and as I'm coming back up the stairs, I misjudged how many stairs there were, and I took a pretty bad tumble down those stairs. Now, I'm holding a full glass of milk, and so you can imagine the glass goes flying in the air, I go down all the stairs, and I'm at the bottom... And you can imagine this moment, it's pitch dark in the house, I'm looking up, and I know that glass is either going to hit me in the face, or it's going to crash around me, and there'll be broken glass everywhere. Those are really the only two options I'm considering at that moment. I'm lying there waiting for my fate, when suddenly the glass drops right into my hand, and lands perfectly in my grasp. And I'm just thinking, where were the cameras? Who was capturing this heroic moment of mine when this glass fell perfectly into my hand? Now, here's the thing, though. When I tell that story, that's usually where I stop with that story. I love the heroic part of that story, the good news of that story. I leave out some things. I leave out the fact that I couldn't walk for about two to three weeks because of how hard my feet and ankles hit the stairs on the way down. I leave out the fact that I had massive bruises on my hip and my side from landing on the ground so hard. I leave that part out. And I definitely leave out the part where I was covered in milk from head to toe because of that effort. We like to leave out the messy parts, don't we? 
We focus in on the heroic deed, and our culture is full of this. We love the heroic moments, but we leave out the messy details in the middle of our stories. We do this with our politicians. We love what they say at times, even though we have to sometimes ignore what they do. We love when our athletes win championships, but we sometimes have to ignore what they do. We love when our celebrities do amazing things, but we often have to ignore parts of what they do. This is the nature of our society. We glorify, we maximize the heroic effort, and we minimize the messy stuff in the story. And this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to look into the life of Samson, someone who has heroic moments, who has big, glorifying moments in his life. But he also has a lot of messy moments in his life that we have to also examine and look at together. If you've been with us these last couple of weeks, you know we've been in the book of Judges. Uh, Judges is this book where we've been watching this cycle take place in the lives of the people of God, in the lives of the people of Israel. This cycle, this downward spiral that we've been studying. We said that the people would continue this pattern of disobeying God. And then they would be disciplined by God. They'd be handed over to their enemies. After some time of oppression and pain, they would turn back to God in distress and cry out to him and say, God, rescue us from this. And that's when God would provide them a deliverer, a judge, someone who would vanquish their foes, who would make them whole again. He would provide this deliverer for a time. And rather than growing closer to God as a result of it, they would only fall further and further down into a descent that would make them farther from God than when they started, and the cycle would continue again. They would disobey, and so on, and so on. And the cycle, this painful, terrible downward spiral, would just continue. This morning, when we open up Judges 13, I want us to understand something about the cycle. The cycle is broken at this point. We've gone so far down with this wheel, with this spiral, that we are stuck in the mud, that the wheel doesn't turn the way it was turning before. Now what we're seeing is disobedience, discipline, and more disobedience, and more disobedience, and more disobedience. We've sunk so deep into the mud that the people are completely rebelling against God. Things have gotten that bad. And when things get that bad, we come to Judges 13 and we get to see the life of the last judge spoken of in Scripture, this 12th judge, the judge who was supposed to be better and bigger than all the other judges combined. He was the superhero judge. He's the one that's supposed to come and rescue it all and fix it all. He's going to give them victory over their enemies. How many of you have heard the story of Samson before? Yeah, maybe in Sunday school or you've heard it preached at some point. I'll go through parts of his story today, but I want us to understand that Samson is not someone that gets preached a whole lot. Maybe when you were a child, you heard of Samson as this strong, incredible superhero is what you heard of. The man who tears apart lions, the man who vanquishes enemies with, with the simplest of weapons. You may have heard these stories as a child. When I was a teenager, I would hear only about Samson as a lesson in why I shouldn't speak to girls. That's all I ever heard in my church. So that was it for Samson. He was either a superhero or a lesson in who you speak to, and that was it. But Samson's life is so much more trust, uh, teach, uh, teachable than that. There's something that we can gain from Samson's life by watching not just the heroic moments, but the very messy parts of his life as well. So if you have your Bibles with you today, or if you want to use the Bible in front of you, we'll be in Judges 13, verses 3 to 5 first. We read there like this, 
you are barren and you is Samson's mother. This is a message that she's being given. You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. This is the glorious part of Samson's story. This is the big opener of his life. Samson's birth is foretold before he ever comes to the earth. I want you to picture the time we're talking about, a time when the people of God were far from God, an angel of the Lord, which was not common at that time, comes to a husband and a wife that's living in that land, and this angel tells them like this, that you will bear a son. If you look in scripture, every single time you ever see a pre-birth story where someone is told of the birth of a child, you know that something special is about to happen. Abraham and Sarah are told about Isaac before he is born. And Isaac becomes the son of promise that would start all the nations that would come upon the earth. Isaac is tremendously important. John the Baptist's birth is foretold, and that birth is so important. Even Joseph and Mary are told before Jesus is born, and he's able to fulfill this incredible purpose in his life. It's amazing because Samson has a pre-birth story, but out of all of them, Samson's the only one that doesn't ultimately fulfill the purpose that God had set him apart for. And this is important because a lot of us are born with potential, are born with this incredible gift and ability, and yet we don't get to see the outcome, the purpose for which we were actually set apart. Samson is set apart even before he is born. His mother is told even in her womb that Samson is set apart. There's this special vow that's given to Samson. It's called a Nazarite vow. This vow has three stipulations to it. Number one, that he would never touch anything unclean. That's to set him apart from all of the other people like a priest would be. He's not allowed to touch anything unclean. Number two, he's not allowed to drink wine or anything fermented. What goes into him was supposed to be clean. And number three, no razor was to ever touch his hair. His hair was supposed to grow out long. And I'm sure you've heard over time that Samson's strength came from his hair. I want us to debunk that myth right now. That's not where his strength came from. The Bible tells us over and over again, his strength came from the spirit of the Lord that was living inside of him, not from the hair that grew on his head. But he had these very three special vows that he had taken, special stipulations to his life. He was set apart at birth with this incredible potential to be the warrior, the ruler over Israel, and to lead them to victory over the Philistines. Amazing, amazing potential. Right around now in the sports world, we're going to hear about amazing athletes with incredible potential who are going to one day take over the NFL or Major League Baseball or basketball. We get to hear about them every year. They run faster than everyone else. They're stronger than everyone else. They can throw harder than anyone else. You'll hear about potential. But every year we'll also hear about those who never lived up to their potential. We call them busts. These people who were supposed to be amazing but never fulfilled their potential. Samson has more potential than probably anyone up to that point in Israel's history. A pre-birth story, incredible, incredible power, and it's all in one person. 
I think it's important to note, Samson's not just someone born with potential. He's also given incredible power. He is set apart from everyone else. The minute you look at him, you know he is different. He's devoted to God because his hair is so long. You know this guy is set apart. He's given potential and he's given power. Over these next couple of chapters, you're going to hear and learn about a man with supernatural strength. That's not common. If there was ever someone similar to a comic book character or an Avengers hero of some sort in the Bible, this is it. This is Samson. There are parts of scripture that tell us that at one point a young lion comes to attack him and Samson is so filled with the power of God that he uses his bare hands to tear a lion apart. Let me say that again. To tear a lion apart. I struggle with spiders and Samson is tearing lions apart. There's parts of scripture that talk about Samson walking up to the gates of the city of the enemies of God and tearing the door, the gate, right off its hinges and lifting it up over his head and walking up a mountain to show his power and his strength. At one part in scripture, Samson is contested by his enemies. Thousands of them approach him to capture him. They tie him up and bind him and they're ready to kill him. When he suddenly breaks free of the ropes and he finds the jawbone of a donkey on the ground, he uses it to kill 1,000 men in one day. Samson has incredible potential. He has incredible power. This must be the guy, right? This must be him. He's the one that's going to rescue us. He's the one that's going to be so set apart that God will use him mightily. But Samson's story does not end like that. I want you to fast forward a little bit and hear how Samson's life ends, and I'll try to fill in the blanks a little bit in the middle. At the end of his life, Samson is captured, his head is shaved, his eyes are gouged out of his head, and he is forced to work as a slave in the Philistine prison. His job is to grind out grain the way an ox would grind out grain. He is then brought before an entire arena of people in the temple of Dagon, the god of the Philistines. He's brought into their temple to entertain them. Samson's a mockery of what he could have been. All that potential, all that power, and in the end, he's just a mockery of a human being. He's just this joke that people are laughing at at the end of his life. So the question that we all have to ask ourselves this morning, the question that we need to learn from Scripture today is simple. How do you go from being set apart by God to being set aside by God? Because scripture is so clear. The spirit of the Lord leaves Samson. So how do you do that? How do you go from potential and power to all the way to this place where you're in a prison grinding out grain? How do you go from being set apart by God to being set aside by God? How does that happen? And this morning, I want us to investigate two specific things, two messy parts of Samson's life that will help us understand this. And I hope as we go through this, we can all think in our own lives. You and I, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, are set apart by God with a purpose. And if you and I are not accomplishing that purpose in our lives daily, then maybe these two things could be the reason why that's not happening. It was the two reasons in Samson's life why it did not happen. Number one, one of the messy parts of Samson's life is that Samson chose his passions over his purpose. Samson chose his passions 
over his purpose. Pastor Craig Rochelle, he puts it like this. Samson was a dangerously strong man with a dangerously weak will. Every day and every time you see Samson mentioned in Scripture, in fact, there's only four chapters about Samson. Three of them talk about him violating his Nazarite vow. They talk about him either touching something unclean, drinking something unclean, or ultimately having his hair shaved off of his head. He violates the vow that he made for God over and over and over again. Samson was not just filled with potential, not just filled with power. He also had passions in his heart that dictated what he did. Samson was full of lust. Think about this. Every time he comes across something that he wants, rather than being set apart, Samson says, I want it. I want it right now. I want that thing that I see. At one point, he tears that lion apart and goes on to his travels, and then a couple of days later, he comes back that same road, and he goes to look at the lion that he tore apart, and within the carcass of that lion are some bees swarming, and they've produced honey inside of that carcass. Samson reaches in and does something he's not supposed to do. He touches something unclean to scoop out the honey and eat it. Samson's eyes and his brain and his body are all working in unison. When I see something I want, I'm going to take something that I want. It was lust that controlled, Samson's, that controlled Samson's inhibitions that said, I want it, I will take it. But it wasn't just lust in Samson's eyes. Samson was also known to have this entitlement about him. It's not just that I want it, but that I deserve it. In the later part of scripture, Samson will fight a thousand men using the jawbone of a donkey and he will stand there after fighting all of these men just thirsty, waiting for a drink of water and there's no water anywhere and he screams out to God, God, you owe me water. He's entitled, not only that I want it, but I deserve it. Samson is overruled by his passions. He's covered in pride. If you think about how much he says, I want it and I deserve it, he also says over and over again, I can handle it. I can do this on my own. I'm capable in and of myself. Not once do you see Samson ever address God as the giver of his strength. Samson truly believes that he is the source of his power and his strength until the very last minute of his life. I want it. I deserve it. I can handle it. These are Samson's passions overwhelming his purpose. His purpose is to lead the people of God over the Philistines. Instead, Samson says, I will do what I want with the power that I have at the time I want to use it. And if we're honest with ourselves, and I know I have to be honest about this, I often think about sin as me breaking one of God's rules. I think of this as a rule book, and I violated one of God's rules. But if we look at Samson's story, and if we look at Scripture in general, sin is much more than just breaking a written code of laws. Sin is when we violate God's purpose for our lives. That God who set you apart and created you with a purpose, when you violate that purpose, you are sinning. It's when we take good things, things that God has given us, and rather than use them in the way that God intended for them to be used, we use them in the way we desire, and as a result, we violate God's purpose for our lives. We let our passions overwhelm our purpose. St. Augustine said it like this, sin comes 
when we take a perfectly natural desire or a perfectly natural longing or an ambition and we try desperately to fulfill it without God. Samson did it with food and drinks. Samson did it in his relationships and with sex. Samson did it over and over and over again. His passion, the thing that was driving him, the I want it, I deserve it, I can handle it, that mentality overwhelmed the purpose that God had for him. But I don't think Samson just one day woke up and said, today I'm going to sin. Today I'm going to violate God's command. I think it was a slow process. In fact, we see he touches something unclean. He throws a party, a feast, where there would have been a lot of drinking of fermented drinks. And he does that. And then he goes and he gets his hair cut. All of this was a process in Samson's life. Samson ruled over Israel for 20 years. I'm sure he did amazing things in those 20 years, but the Bible tells us about him breaking three of his vows, and that's really what it focuses on. How does sin work? How does temptation work? How do passions work? They don't often work in this immediate moment of changing us forever. It's often a slow process of turning us away from God. Many years ago, when explorers were first finding the Niagara Falls, when they wrote in their diaries about what they saw with the Niagara Falls and how amazing it was and powerful it was, they also noticed something they did not expect. They noticed birds falling off the falls. Now, how do birds fall off of the falls? That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Birds that can fly are falling over the falls. And over time, they realized something was happening. The birds were going for a sip of water at the top of the falls. That's a good thing. That's a nice ambition to have. They would go for a sip of water, but as they would stay there in that area at the top of the falls, as they would stay there, the cold, icy water droplets would splash up onto their wings and freeze their wings. And over time, over slow amounts of time, those wings would freeze up so much that they couldn't flap anymore and the birds would fall over the edge of the falls. And this is how sin works at times. This is how your enemy, Satan, works at times. He doesn't need you to turn 180 degrees and march toward him. He needs you to turn one degree away and start walking in that direction. And in Samson's life, it was one day after another walking one degree away from God over and over again over time when his passions overwhelmed his purpose. Now he's not focused on winning the battles for God. He's not focused on defeating the Philistines for God's sake. He's focused on himself. Watch every time Samson uses his power, there's a specific connection to something he wants. He defeats the Philistines so he can marry a specific woman. He, defe- he, he goes to, uh, to, to destroy the Philistines at the end of the story so that he can get vengeance for his eyes, which were gouged out. Samson's so far from God over a long period of time, he forgot his purpose completely. And if we're not careful, this is something that can happen to us so easily. So number one, Samson's passions overwhelmed his purpose. And I think the second mistake that Samson makes that we can make as well is that Samson made presumptions that overshadowed his purpose. He made presumptions that overshadowed his purpose. How many of you played outside as children? How many of you played outside? Yeah, a lot of us. I see some hands here. So when I was a child, it was relentless. If if it was summer break, we'd go outside around 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, 
uh, ride our bikes, play baseball, play basketball, play football, come in for a quick lunch, go right back outside again. It was this never-ending day outside. That's what we did. There was never-ending energy, too, because after a whole day of playing, I would come back inside only wishing I could play even more. There was nonstop energy. That's all we ever did. Now I fast forward to today. After I take a nap, I'm tired. And I ask myself this question, how does that happen? Because when I was a child, I could never see that. As a child, I assumed youth and energy would always be there. I presumed it would always be like this. But now I look and I think about how tired I get from the most mundane things. We make presumptions sometimes that can overshadow our purpose. We make mistaken assumptions about God and about our role in his plan. Samson did it over and over again. In fact, this is how Judges 16 verse 20 puts it. It's at a time when he meets a woman named Delilah. And you may have heard this story before. It's a cautionary tale in scripture. You may have heard of Delilah. Delilah was a woman from the Valley of Sorek, a woman who Samson fell in love with. And the Bible tells us it's one of the greatest betrayals in all of scripture. That this woman that he loved would ultimately betray him for a price to his own enemies, the Philistines. And over a period of time and nagging and asking and asking, Samson would eventually give away the secret to his strength to this woman, Delilah, who would unveil it to the Philistines, who would ultimately be the end of Samson's ministry. And here's what Delilah says to Samson in Judges 16. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. This is after they'd cut his hair. He awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. And I want us to stop here for a second. Listen to the presumption in Samson's voice. I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Now, Samson had been walking away from his purpose for a long time at this point. And when his hair was cut, let's not make the mistake that the strength came from his hair. It was actually the final violation of his Nazarite vow is what it was. He was no longer set apart. The spirit of God had left him. And Samson still believes, I can go out as before and shake myself free. That's the false presumption that he makes. The very next words of scripture say like this, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. He did not know that the Lord had left him. My friends, if we're not careful, this is the same path that we can go down. We follow our passions over our purpose, and then we make these presumptions about God that are ultimately dangerous these presumptions that I can live any way I want and God will still use me, God will still be with me, God will still bless me. Because in Samson's life, he violated his first vow and God didn't strike him with lightning. In fact, God used him again. He violated his second vow and God didn't strike him with lightning. God used him again. And so for Samson, it became this connection that my gifts... And the fruit of the Spirit are all connected. My gifts and the fruit, my gifts and the results are all connected. As long as I have this power, as long as I'm doing things that look Christian or look good, God is with me. God is blessing me. And that's a dangerous presumption we sometimes make. God blessed me with a great voice. And as long as I'm using it, God must be, love me. God blessed me with the ability to preach or to teach. As long as I'm using it, God must love me and God must be so happy with me. 
It's dangerous to presume that just because we're using our gift that God is happy with what we're doing all the other times. And we see it in scripture. We see it in life every day. We see famous pastors, famous preachers falling from grace and falling from God because their public outward devotion to God looked awesome, but their private inward devotion to God was completely broken. It's easy to presume that if God is using me, then he must be happy with me. And I ask us again to be careful of how our passions overwhelm our purpose, but be careful of how our presumptions can overshadow our purpose. I don't know about you, but every time I vacuum, I play a little game in my head. And I don't know if you do it too. Let me know if you do. If not, I'm sorry. When I vacuum, I play this game where I plug in the vacuum in one room, and I try to get to as many rooms as I can with the vacuum still plugged in that same room. How many of you do this? Good, good. There we go. Normal people. Good. So (laughs) I will plug in that vacuum, and I play this game. How far can I go? How far can I go? Can I get that corner? Can I still get to the hallway? Can I get to that room while it's still plugged in this one outlet? And I'll try to go as far as I can until that moment where it pops out of the wall and the power is gone and now I know I've got to restart again. This is what happens when we make presumptions. We walk farther and farther away from God and we just think, hey, the power is still on in this vacuum so I must be good until the moment it pops out of the wall and suddenly I realize maybe I wasn't as close to God as I thought. Passion can overwhelm our purpose, but presumptions are dangerous to our purpose too. How do we know we're right where God wants us to be? How do we know this is where God needs me at this time? Because I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we're set apart for God. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be in his purpose. But if we're really honest with ourselves and we examine our lives day in and day out, we know the life we live doesn't always match up with the purpose that we were set apart for. Hebrews 10 verse 26 says it like this. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And that can be scary to hear sometimes. I don't want us to downplay God's incredible grace and the fact that no matter how far you feel from God today, no matter how long ago you think that cord popped out, God invites you back into his presence. God loves you and he wants to have relationship with you. But the dangerous place to be in is where the cord has popped out And we keep on living the life we want to live. And we keep on doing what we want to do. And we assume that we're right with God. Like Samson did. Samson eventually was not just set apart for God. He was set aside by God. And the big lesson that we learn from Samson's life and the lesson that we should learn is that the set aside will trust their strength. But the set apart will trust their Savior. There is no way I can live a holy and righteous life enough that I'd be good enough, that I can earn heaven. I can never do those things. There is no strength, no gift I have that can ultimately accomplish God's purpose in this life unless I trust him. Samson's strength did not come from his hair. It came from the spirit of the living God that was inside of him, but he never realized that. He doesn't realize it until the very, very bitter end of his life. When Delilah finally betrays Samson, Samson is captured, he's bound, his eyes are gouged out of his head, 
and he is brought into a prison where he's grinding grain for the people, his own enemies. He's grinding grain for them to eat. Eventually, there is a huge festival called in the temple of Dagon, the enemy of God, and all of the most prominent Philistines gather together to watch their most notorious enemy, Samson, come into their midst and entertain them for the day. Samson was going to be their pleasure, to watch him fumble around in the dark as a blind man, to watch him be a fool and a mockery. That was their entertainment. And in this moment, Samson with a little boy helping him walk from place to place, says, put my hand up against the pillars that hold up this temple. And Samson is brought to the pillars that hold up the temple, and Samson cries out to God one last time. He says, God, I realize what I've done wrong here. God, I know it's all about you. God, I want you to do what you do and take the glory again. Sadly, that's not even close to what Samson says. Samson says, God, give me vengeance for my eyes that I've lost. And sure enough, God uses him again. Samson leans up against the pillars, the entire temple crushes, and the Bible tells us that Samson killed more Philistines in his death than when he was alive. God still used him. God still accomplished a purpose, but I don't want to miss what purpose was accomplished the people in that temple were crying out, saying, were celebrating that Dagon had defeated the God of the Israelites. But the God of the Israelites used this passionate, presumptuous man to come back one last time and destroy them once and for all because God had to take the glory in this story, and he does. Here's the truth about your life and my life, my friends. God's story is about God's glory, and he's going to take the glory no matter what. It's up to you and me to figure out, do I want to be a part of that story or not? I want us to recognize this, that if God has called you, if God has set you apart, if God has given you a ministry that he's called you to, no one on this earth can take that ministry away from you. But you can give it up if you want. And that's what Samson does. Day after day after day, his passions and his presumptions give up the ministry that God has called him to, and he ultimately ends up a failure. He ends up a bust. He ends up nowhere near the potential that God had for him because passion and presumption had overtaken him. As our worship team comes forward, as we prepare to close out this morning, the set aside trust their strength, but the set apart trust their Savior. You know, a few thousand years after Samson's story, the angel of the Lord would come to another woman and say that she would give birth to a child, that this child had more potential than any other child before, that this child would have passions but would overwhelm the passions with his purpose, that this child could have made presumptions but he would ultimately focus every assumption back to his father, that this child would be special and unique and given power and gifts beyond those around him. And this child would become a man who would perform miracles, would revolutionize the world, he would go to a cross and he would die for your sin and mine. He would be raised again from the dead. That child fulfilled his potential. And because of him, because of him, we have a purpose. You and I are not living in darkness anymore. You and I are not bound to the spiral, the chains of the wheel any longer. You and I have a purpose. We're set apart by God. Now what do we do about it? How do I fulfill my purpose? Trust my Savior.
It's that simple. Samson lived a life where he said, I want it, I can have it, I can take it, I can handle it. But God calls us to a life where we say, I want God. I want him to handle the things in my life. I want him to be first in my life. I want him to get the glory in my life. And this morning, no matter how far you are from God, that cord may have popped out of the wall years ago. That's okay. This morning is a chance to come back to God and to say, God, you, God of grace, I come back to you and I want you to be the Lord of my life again. I invite us to close our eyes and bow our heads this morning. I know there's some of us right now who are saying, God, I want to be used by you. God, I want to be the person that you call upon, the person who changes the people around me and the community I'm in. But I'm so overwhelmed by my passions at times that I'm far from you. I make presumptions about your grace that I can continue in sin so that grace may abound. I make these mistakes, God. But Lord, I come back to you this morning and I say, God, I want to start new with you. God allows you to replug in that cord this morning, to replug in with him and to say, God, you are first in my life again. God, I remember the purpose you called me for, and I ask this morning that you would fulfill that purpose in my life. Heavenly Father, we just pray for your victory over these areas of our lives, the messy parts that we don't like to talk about, the messy parts that we never bring up publicly. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to come back to you. Lord, I just pray that in the week ahead, in the days ahead, we would be able to see those areas of our lives where we have clearly not let you be Lord. That we would overwhelm our passions with purpose in the days ahead. That we would see you clearly, Lord God, and step out in faith towards you. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you, God, that the story is not done that you are still writing my story, you're still writing everyone's story here. God, give us the ability to walk in purpose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's rise to our feet. Let's sing and worship the Lord as we close this morning. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m., and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at MT Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.